Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we are asking the question, what is the future of advertising? Okay, so let's first start by distinguishing advertising from just general marketing. Okay, so yeah, what do we mean by advertising? We like to start with definitions sometimes yeah. around here because these terms can get slippery. So here's how I think of advertising. It's the sale of attention. Right. And there's, there's two parts to that definition, sale and attention. So sale implies that the ad is paid for, right? And this is what excludes a lot of things that are marketing practices. So we're not including public relations or just direct sales or the design of your store. Viral videos. Right. Or other things that are important in influencing customers, right? We're only talking about paid for time. And that's where the intention part comes in. You know, let's take the classic situation of, say, a television show that has viewers that are paying attention to it, and then they will sell the attention of those viewers to advertisers. So, right. When somebody, uh, either a company or a person, pays to have your attention passed over to them at a crucial moment. So, attention is something that we, we talked a lot about in our episode 10. And the topic of episode 10 was, what are the things that are going to stay scarce? And attention is, was number one on our list, and for good reason, because attention is a very limited resource, perhaps one of the most valuable things we, we have. Right. You can do almost like a makeshift math equation to find out how much total attention there is. It's just all the people in the world times the hours in the day. And right. then uh, maybe, you know, you can split people's attention maybe about four ways before they become confused. So maybe you have a multiplier of four on that. And that's it. That's all the attention there is. Right. Available. Because it's tied to time and we don't have a magical way to invent more time, at least with our current technology. Ta time technology is not seeing the kind of exponential improvement that, uh, say, computing we, technology We do is. not have time machines. So for the time being, people's <laughs> attention is limited and that's why it's such a valuable commodity, yeah. even while other commodities are becoming lower in price and cheaper and less scarce. And the, the economy of buying and selling a people's attention is just the foundation of a lot of the biggest companies that you think of today. Companies like Google and Facebook that are supported by ads that are essentially in the business of getting people's eyeballs, getting people's ears sometimes, right. or their attention in general, and then reselling that to people. Right. New industries like those and also old industries like radio and television run on this advertising model. So advertising, the sale of attention, that's how we're defining it. Now- right. So the kinds of things that are ads, just to be really clear about okay. this, billboards, ads, uh, radio spots, ads, mm -hmm. a poster put up behind the performer at a, at a concert. Is that an ad? Yes, if it was yeah. paid for. It was paid for. The side of a bus. Side of a bus. On That's a coffee right. cup. Uh, the display ads that you see when you Google something. Right. Okay. So this is the kind of thing we're talking about. What do you think about ads, John? Well, uh, people tend to have hostile feelings towards ads, let's say. People generally don't like ads. I'll cop like to that. Ads, I don't love ads. Right? So I want to start there, right? Why do people dislike ads? So first of all, at the surface level, ads waste our time because it is our attention. Our attention is limited by the time we have. And if you have to watch an ad, that is your time. That is your one of your most valuable commodities that's being given to someone else, right? And it's someone that's merely paid for that, right? You know, and we, we're not always cool with people just being able to pay for things. Right. I mean, it's it's distracting, right? Which feels almost like a violation because it's you, it's your attention, it's your mind and what it's thinking of gets directed to something else like against its will. Right. Because ads are often, and not always, but they're often interruptions to like other content that you're watching. Right. Right. So you chose the content. You did not choose the ad. So you're you're being violated in the sense that your your choice is being taken away. Yeah. Right. So that's another reason that they're annoying. Yeah. And finally, like the other reason I think that people dislike ads is they're worried about being tricked into buying things that maybe they don't need. Or maybe they think that they're above that. Like I would never be influenced by ads, but then they still think that the general masses of people might be influenced by ads to buy things they don't There's, need. And therefore ads are evil. Right. right. And there is some research that shows that uh, ads do move the needle for some percentage of the population. So it's not totally idle, this idea. No, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just trying to say this is a problem that people have with ads is right. that it might 
force you to spend money you don't have on things you don't need. Well, they seem to exploit a certain kind of mental weakness, which maybe feels a little unfair or unmeritocratic in the way that it works. When I also feel like if you're watching an ad and it's a good ad, I, I wonder if that's sort of like imposing upon you like a little bit of like a willpower tax almost, right? Because you know that you can resist it. You know you don't really need that product, but you still have to expend a little bit of mental energy reminding yourself that the, you know, the problem that they're talking about, because you know, so many of these ads too are like sending negative messages, like you're going to smell bad when you're on your date, so you got to buy this deodorant or right. things like that. And obviously you can dismiss that as, yes, this is just an ad. I understand that. I'm a modern person who's educated about media, but you're still using a little tiny part of your brain to remind yourself that. And I feel like that can be possibly draining in the aggregate to yeah, be exposed to that's that. That's just one fewer good decision you get to make that day. If right. You, if you believe in that whole decision juice thing, which which I kind of do. Well, let's explain that because that is there is some research that suggests that willpower is is a resource that does drain throughout that, the day. That literally depletes. Right. And that like it refills helps. a bit when you eat. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but when sleeping you, mostly yes. helps. Yeah. And that feels very intuitively right. I don't know how much study has actually been done on this, but it, I like that idea. Now there are exceptions to people disliking ads. One of them is it may be a good or service that you actually want, right? I know. And when that happens, I'm usually delighted. I'm like, oh, they, they got it right. I want that. Exactly. Yeah. And then also, some people are going to have the understanding when they're watching a YouTube video or a television show or something that has an ad, that that ad is supporting the content that you like, right? So if you're reminding yourself of that, that you're somehow maybe supporting them by helping them to stay financially afloat, then maybe that's a way to feel a little bit better about the ads, right? I suppose that works for some people. Well, we're going to come back to that one because okay. that's, that's obviously culturally variable, depending on who you're talking about. And I don't I don't relate to that, but it makes sense to me. Okay. And then also ads can be content themselves, right? So the classic example of this would be Super Bowl ads where people watch the ads on purpose. They watch them later when they get collected and put online. Right. And they watch and it's almost like a competition that people get excited about that's in addition to the game itself. Right. Well, this is an almost different thing. This is like a kind of corporate art market. A really great ad, it's a kind of piece of art, and it, it has a similar life. But it the whole time, it is still marketing its product. That's interesting because those Super Bowl ads, they start as ads, but then they quickly stop being paid, and they start being something you choose to watch Something people YouTube. may go to voluntarily. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's interesting. And they, yeah. so, they sort of go into marketing space at that point and, pull, and fall out of our definition. It's true. They are on, they are on the boundary there. So, but, so we'll just acknowledge that that's another mode for ads to be in. It is. And like the, you know, the like Ridley Scott Apple 1984 ad or something. I mean, it's almost like a movie. Right. It's like, you know, that's like an extreme. But there are times that. when, you know, you didn't know it was coming. It right. was paid for. Right. And maybe it surprisingly entertains you when you didn't expect it. And that can, you know, make ads less bad. But sure, of course. Aside from these exceptions, yeah. by and large, ads is kind of a dirty word for most people and something to be avoided. Now, moving on, what's going to actually happen to advertising given that people don't like them and want to avoid them? Does this mean that society is going to eventually get rid of them? Uh, or does it mean that despite our dreams of getting rid of ads, that we're actually going to be inundated with more and more ads than ever before? I think last episode, we talked about Minority Report and their scene of, you know, invasive they thought advertising. They ads would get very annoying. Right. And I think this is a common thing you see in dystopian sci-fi is like, like a lot of ads everywhere. So my belief is we're not going to see either of these things. We're not going to see ads vanish and see the utopian version, and we're not going to see ads become this insanely invasive force in the dystopian model. I think the apex of invasive advertising was like the same year Minority Report came out, you know, like around 1999. Why is that? Why that year? Like the flashing like gif images were just like for the first time possible but like the cultural attitude that that stuff is horrible had not yet really been put in and i feel like it got put in pretty quick and now we're back to like pretty low amounts of blinking right right so <laughs> on our screen ads at least and i think that's like one level of invasiveness not the only i suppose i mean there are other levels which axis we'll, of invasive we'll get into yeah. later yeah that might get a little bit worse but in general i don't think we're gonna have more or less ads and and part of my evidence for that is that the amount of advertising spending relative to gdp has remained at roughly one to two percent for the last century and this is 
with the arrival of television, with the arrival of the internet, with several paradigm shifts, the advertising industry has been shaken up multiple times and people in the advertising industry have felt those shakeups. But by and large, the industry has stayed a constant size relative to the rest of the economy. Right. Because businesses continue to spend the same amount of their budget on advertising year after year after year. And they simply adapt to the new platforms as they come out. Right. So it seems reasonable to expect that, yeah, we're going to have augmented reality. We're going to have virtual reality. We're going to have some exciting new platforms. And those are going to have ads just like the platforms before them. And while there might be some winners and losers in the transition, it's going to stay pretty much the same rate of advertising. Well, I think you're definitely right. Those platforms are definitely going to have ads. I think the way ads work on them will be a little different, just like all the current platforms have slight differences. The radio ads aren't the same as banner ads. But I also think the amount of spending is one thing, but the cost per impression has been going way down uh, with the internet. So uh, we may see more ads per dollar in the future. I don't think those ads are going to be drastically more invasive because I don't think people will tolerate that. And there's enough competition in the world that we're going to see ads that are less invasive. And we can talk about some of the ways that's going to happen. But I think we might see budgets remain the same while the reach per dollar uh, it goes up. That's true, although that's offset by the fragmentation that we're seeing among the advertising viewing populace, which is that you might have to make more different types of ads to appeal right. to more different niches. And get more impressions per customer before you get a buy, too, because they're just getting advertised to more and more well, <laughs> uh, right? You know, uh, so you're just—it's just harder to get through to them because because the, the ads they're seeing are actually good, and you know. Well, anyway, we'll talk about all that. Okay, now, so earlier in the podcast, we spent some time talking about why people don't like ads. The reason I brought that up is because I think you can kind of view advertising as sort of like an arms race, and it's an arms race for the most part with firms trying to grab our scarce attention, this thing that is a resource that we just never have enough of, right. and us trying to ignore or avoid those attempts to grab our attention. Right. And that means like any arms race that the tactics keep changing, right? Like we adapt to them, they adapt to us. There definitely seems to be a, an element to it on the technological side that like, yeah, when ads get annoying, we figure out ways around them and then they adapt, et cetera. Right. So a, a great examples of this are like, say, changing the channel, right? This is a, right. once remotes came out, bam, new ad comes on the screen and you can suddenly change the channel and now, you know, TV ads have to adapt by finding ways to keep you like stuck on a cliffhanger. So you're just less likely to change the channel the second the ad comes on. I literally just today was listening to the terrifying robot dog oh, right. podcast, which is another fine podcast, by the way. We're not affiliated we, with them. We, we just, just like discovered them. them, though, and we like them. So uh, check them out. And uh, they literally uh, mentioned this. In oh, their, I'm sure. Yeah. In their, our, our, they were talking about com- something else completely different, but they were saying about game changers. This was a game changer. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great example. The The remote control literally changed television and changed television advertising, the tactics. Right. But the goal before and the goal after is the same, the sale of attention. And they just had to work a little harder they for it. They just had to adapt. And that's that's the pattern that we've been seeing over and over. I mean... Uh, DVR recorders. Great would, example. Would be ad blocking lo- software yes. on the web, right? Which uh, I think came out in direct response to all that blingy early flash and GIF banner stuff from the 90s i think that's exactly why people invented those things you know if you use them now they like let through the less obtrusive ads by default and uh, that's the way they work now because the ads adapted and some of the other strategies that they use say to defeat the dvr recorders that remove ads would be things like product placement right this would be this would be the advertising industry firing back right like so we (laughs) we raise them dvr recorders and they raise us you know like embedded advertisements that are woven into the story where the you know character casually talks about uh, the Coke he's drinking or the Nikes he's wearing. Yeah, I mean, that's that obviously those are, you know, strategies that work, but they're not very transparent. And I think they raise the creepiness alarm for that reason. You sort of gradually realize the movie you're watching is, you know, in a world where Coke has no competitors, there is no Pepsi, you know what I mean? Yeah, so there's a limit to how far they can push that. But I was thinking, and this is a bit of a tangent, that for virtual reality in particular, I'm thinking this might be the strategy they go with, right? Because if you're... Right, because VR is all about like immersive experiences, so you just hide it in there. Exactly, because if you go into your virtual reality immersive experience and then all of a sudden 
you have to be momentarily immersed in ad world. Oh God. Yeah. They like throw you into an, like a giant hamburger. Like this, like the biggest hamburger <laughs> in the this world. Is where you go with this, a giant hamburger. Okay. Well, like, you know, on television, you've ever watched a television ad? Yeah. They're 90% giant hamburgers. You're like, oh, oh, God, I like hamburgers, and that's disgusting to me. It's like you don't need to get gonna, that close to hamburgers. No, I, I want it smaller than my mouth. You but know? I, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, yes. they're, 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 can you imagine going head first into one of those? I mean, it'd be it'd be unpleasant. <laughs> there would be unpleasant. I think uh, maybe they wouldn't do that because it's too unpleasant. Well, they'd probably try to make it pleasant. I mean, you know, maybe it would be like you're sitting in like uh, a beautiful, lush forest and then it just like quietly like brings up the logo for some drug company not unlike <laughs> not unlike they already do but just like in a more immersive environment sure so i'm not saying that that couldn't happen but sure. i think that's going to be very disruptive to the whole point of the vr experience which is presence it is immersion right right i think like you don't want to pull you yeah, out of it when you're watching a 2d video right and you're standing back from it you're already distanced so when it Yes, it can be jarring, and it certainly is jarring when the commercials come on. But it's going to be even more jarring when the whole point is the seamless interaction. So right. I think it's going to be much more like you're playing your VR experience and just in the world you're exploring are the products. Because I think right. actually that's going to hide a lot better, right? If yeah. you're wandering around a video game world or whatever it is, and just like everything that people are drinking is like a certain brand... I mean, uh-huh. I think that's gonna go ahead and say it. We'll get go ahead and say the brand. <laughs> I mean, I already, I already repped Coke, right? So it's, it's time to <laughs> rep Pepsi or something. I don't know. Yeah, I gotta switch it up. So everybody's drinking RC Cola in this world. Oh, does that even exist anymore? I don't think so. No. So yeah, so that was a, a bit of a tangent. But the idea is, there's this arms race that goes back and forth, and it kind of reminds me with what happens with piracy, which is that with piracy, you have this similar thing where you know they they try to put out digital rights management, and then you know the pirates find a way around it. They try to like shut down the Pirate Bay or like one of these BitTorrent sites and then new ones spring up. It goes back and forth, right? And it's a bit of a technology war, but it just like it never really ends. It's just a back and forth, each person adapting to the other. Sure. So I think it's a bit analogous. And I want to return to something from earlier, which is that what I found has happened with piracy is they've obviously had a cultural push to try to persuade us that piracy is wrong. Right. And that we should not steal. Right. That it is, in fact, stealing and that we should support the artist by paying, even if we know how, technically speaking, to get around it and get the content for free. And I'm just wondering if that same cultural persuasion tactic that they use to convince people to slow their piracy would work with convincing people to sit through ads. Cause oh, I've, God. Because I have talked to people who are like, when I'm you not know, watching ads is stealing, John. It's stealing. No, I think that that is an argument that could be made. Like, I think if That's you're... That's so dark. If you're watching... I mean, I think it's easier to understand, say, in the context of YouTube, right? If you're watching a YouTube channel where it's like, you know... <laughs> you sure you want to skip? It's not a corporate YouTube it's like channel. Stealing. It's like an individual creator whose, <laughs> like, income is is based upon the ads. Then you'd be like, all right, if I wait another few seconds while this ad goes through, or if I even go so far as to click on it. I know that this is going to personally help this guy whose content I enjoy all the time. So I'm just saying like, there could be a moral dimension to this. I'm not saying this, this doesn't really affect you or I maybe, like I don't tend to think this way, but I think that culturally speaking, this is a force to consider. I mean, people do things for moral reasons. I guess so. I could see that becoming an argument, I guess. But I think the true thing that really worked as far as changing the tide on piracy, at least in the music business, was that they realized that ubiquitous streaming was a good enough feature that it could beat pirate systems which couldn't offer that. I mean, I think that's really what it is, is that like making better ads is how they're going to win. They're going to get us to watch ads by the way Spotify gets us to pay for streaming, which is they're going to make the ads better. They're going to make them work better. They're going to be less intrusive, more like what we want, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that's the more robust prediction. Right. And that puts constraints on them. The fact that they might actually have to improve what they're doing. To well, that's the thing. If the ads us are a, annoying, yeah. it gets in the way of what the advertiser is trying to do. Because well, actually, yeah, let's talk about that because that is the that is the next point that I wanted to make, which is that they're, they can't get endlessly annoying in the way that they are in some of these dystopian scenarios. No, 
because we will. I mean, they could technically, but they won't. We will choose other things. There's that. It's not going to be a dystopian world where you only have one type of experience to choose from, and people will just will not stand for that. The content providers or the platform that the ads are being served on won't stand for it. That's true too. They won't. They're going to go where the people are. They always do, and they always adapt to whatever people think they want. You know, right? Just think about like TV ads. They flip back and forth every few years about like. Are they parodies? Are they like meta about being ads? Or are they trying to like hide it and be totally realism? Right. Well, that's another example of this arms race of like, this is like the tone of your persuasion shifts constantly. Even just within the same media. And then they also change media. I mean, it's really broad. They're very adaptive. There's a reason why like when you go to YouTube, there's one ad, right? Because you couldn't possibly sit through two. Is that why? I mean, let's just take it to the extreme. Like if they just stacked five ads that you had to watch before you could watch a video, obviously that is going too far, right? So the reality is somewhere in the middle. Maybe they could get away with two, but actually they only go with one. And not only that, they put a skip button on there. Often, but not always. Well, there's often a skip button though. Again, like- that's a three second wait. True. Right? And I find that like, I hit that a lot. Well, and how, you know, did they come up with that three-second boundary? The, the point is that there's limits know. here, right? They can't, like, they know that they can't push us forever, yeah. right? So there's an equilibrium. Now, I, I think you could make the argument that the equilibrium on the web, at least currently, I don't know if this is something that's going to stay, has shifted towards being less annoying than what I remember in the past in terms of, say, yeah, traditional that's what I was television talking about. ads. I yeah. mean, I think they've really toned down. I think it's in response to ad blockers. Like, ad blockers got really popular when ads were at their worst. These days, I talk to a lot of savvy people who don't know about ad blockers. And I think that cultural shift has happened because uh, they don't see them as so necessary. They're not being driven to it by being exactly. so relentlessly They're annoyed. They're not being super annoyed. Well, and that's, again, the piracy thing. What People get driven to piracy when they can't get the content they want when they want it. So it's Exactly. So making it available and making it even better than that ubiquitously available is like, oh, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. But I guess you could say that like in the arms race, we're kind of, we've won some victories then, right? Because I feel like I see less ads per minute of content when I watch my favorite YouTube channels than I ever did as a kid growing up watching television after school, right? Because I'll watch a YouTube video that's like 10 minutes long and I'll see three seconds of an ad before I hit the skip button and that's it. <laughs> and like yeah. compared to growing up, like sure. what I, the number of ads that I would be forced to consume while just like watching cartoons after school, I mean, it's, it's a lot lower. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it could also be higher because if you didn't hit skip every time and you watch shorter videos, you could probably get the ad content up above where TV is. I mean, it's highly variable it's on highly on variable, but it's also really controllable if you want to watch long videos, which I mean, you and I do, I'll often watch an hour long talk or something. Sure. And then, you know, even if it makes you sit all the way through the one minute video, and of course I mute them so to hear them talking to me. I mean, all of that's all stuff you have control over. It's far less annoying. My life is so isol- you know, insulated from advertising at this point that I'm like shocked when I see it. When I go to someone else's house and they have regular television, I go, oh my God, that hamburger is giant. That's what I always say. <laughs> I don't know if if this will last as sort of a victory, but it does seem like, at least on the web, we've managed in lowering the overall annoyingness of ads to absolutely, yeah, no, and giving people more choice about what they actually expose themselves to. Okay, so we've laid a lot of groundwork here, but let's talk about actual predictions. So, um, aside from the fact that ads are here to stay, whatever platform we move to, uh, ads are (laughs) clearly going to get better at targeting. They're going to get better at targeting the right person. And this has always been happening. All ads have always been targeted, even if it's just like putting that ad, you know, on the right television show to reach the right demographics or people that would be interested in your product, right? Right. But the promise of future advertising for a while now has been making ads more personalized. And this is, again, another prediction that was made in that minority report scene the precise way that they showed it was a little bit silly. Like they keep saying the guy's name, like John Anderton, John Anderton, right. John it Anderton. Really would you like some new jeans? Show the audience that the computer knows his name. Right, right. Yeah. So it was a sort of a kludgy way to show that. But I think that basic prediction is correct. I think, you know, there's just a lot to be gained for advertisers and honestly, possibly for consumers by having ads be tailored to not just demographic groups, but specific people. Sure. And um, this is already happening. Online ads are already 
profiling you and everything and making things much more uh, targeted. Right. And I, th- I think it has a long way to go before it's truly effective. I mean, now it really shows it seems as a technology. Like I see ads and I'm like, ah, this is a targeted ad. It's showing me this because I bought this thing last week or it's showing me this thing that I just bought because it knows somehow that I just bought it. But it's like I already have the product. So it's still trying to sell it to me. Because it's like not really sure what I have and don't have. Or what products are the kind you buy every two weeks and what products are the kind you buy once. Uh, you see it trying to profile you and you see it <laughs> failing like it, right before your eyes. Like <laughs> it is basically the experience of this right now. So yeah. I would say that this is happening. But that's but, the experience of everything right before it works, right? <laughs> so. But it's kind of a, been a big failure, I would say. And, yeah. and But, you know, this is not going to be a failure forever. Exactly. Our, our attitude is usually this technology does work eventually. It's just the bugs got to be worked out. Right. Now, there's a creepiness line with this stuff. I kind of dismiss that. To me, like people get used to creepy things. You know, as long as like a technology doesn't leap too far down the creepiness path too fast. I'm not worried about it either. I think you can push the creepiness factor pretty far and people will eventually get used to it. I mean, the thing is when they really get good at targeting, it's going to get past being creepy because it's not going to be like, oh, you know this intimate detail about me or whatever. It's just going to be like very casually and effectively suggesting to you things you're going to be very algorithmically likely to buy. Right. And it's not going to be so surprising. It's not going to feel like it knows you so well because you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm buying that, you know, whatever. Right, absolutely. I I mean, you know, I think part of what's creepy about it now is like the particular... The fact that it does it badly. Weirdness of it. Yeah. Yeah. That it's it's so specific. It's It's like too specific. It's not what you want. It's just something you have or it's something you searched for once. Or something like that, or something your friend has, and it's just like creepy, you know, because it's not really what you want. But when it is what you want, I think it's not going to be creepy. It's just going to be like, oh, yeah, that's helpful. All right, I'll do that. Right. Well, and you'll be long past the point where you'll be surprised that it knows what you want. You'll be like, oh, it always knows what I want. It usually knows what I want. It's my best friend, you know, the computer, which (laughs) will have some name like Siri or Alexa or one of these assistant software things, which we'll get to later. But another thing that I think is more of like a temporary bug of this personalized advertising, which is the privacy leaks, right? So, you know, maybe uh, I'm like, Ted, I'm having a problem with my computer, like, do you want to take a look at this and see if you have any thoughts on it? And then you come over and look, and then all of a sudden it serves me this ad that's like half price furry costumes oh, or something like that. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm like, it's not like I bought furry costumes. I don't, I, I have no idea why that ad is showing up on my screen. Let's just close that right now. That's that you don't need to worry about that. Yes. But this kind of thing happens all the As time. Somebody who has um, previously been an IT professional, not right. for a long time, but, but I was a long time ago. I have accidentally seen other people's porn and had to pretend that I hadn't more than once in my life. Right. But porn is one thing, but this is like, they could be in a fairly innocuous program that's not porn, that's, that's just true. their social media program or even their Google search results or something. And it's it's revealing details about them that are... Again, this creepiness line is is going to get fixed, though, because they're going to start showing you innocuous things when because they're going to know when somebody else is looking at your screen. But right now, they don't. They don't have the right information to make this work. No, I agree that this will get fixed. And do you know the the really classic story of this is the one where like the father finds out that his daughter is pregnant via the ads? Right. Yeah. So well, the, and it's been for a while now that the algorithms can tell you're pregnant before you can, right? The one I saw was the dad got the ad. Oh, okay. And then was like, my daughter's not pregnant. And then it turned out that she was and just hadn't told him. Oh, okay. Which is that's funny. funny. But I think, you know, yeah. th- I think there's also like worse stories too of like women who've had, you know, miscarriages or whatever, and they're still <laughs> getting the ads for their, you know, like. That's uh, that's like, a huge failure of the algorithm. It needs to switch to right. a completely different set of. The, The point is that, though, you know, this is not, you know, fodder for a dystopian future. This stuff will be fixed. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it provides... This is a dystopian present. Comedy for today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and sometimes not so much comedy in the case of the last example. <laughs> that but, was, yeah, that's not so comedic. That's just sort of sad. Right. Sorry um, about that. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, but what else though, is there? I mean, if we really push this out into the future, here's what I think is a more legitimate concern if we want to get dystopian with this, because let's get dystopian just because. All right. It's fun sometimes. It. All right. Uh, You're talking about ads. You got to get a little dystopian. If it's personalized advertising that's really, really good at selling you the right thing at the right time, always in the best possible way, not embarrassing you, not creeping you out. No, but giving you that little jolt of addictive happiness that you get when you you know get a good deal on something you need that's like an adrenaline rush that's like gambling or something well when you get a good deal perhaps like that pleasure is potentially something that you could become attached to i don't know much about that i mean i know that people sometimes get little highs off of actually making purchases there's like shopaholics you know that's like a thing right right and I don't know exactly how that works, but I do think like this could be the realization of that fear we talked about earlier where your willpower really is overwhelmed by the incredible persuasive power of these future ads because they're so tailored to you. You know, this could be dangerous for people that say have access to credit and then can spend themselves into debt. I mean, this is something that even, you know, could affect the whole economy if this was like, you know, if you had a situation where like there was a lot of good credit around. Which there is. So something would have to change. For yeah, that, not that to be tightened the case. up, but it's kind of coming. It's come back I mean, now. Yeah, everybody can get a credit card and get themselves into trouble. There's, there's, and yeah, you might we, not be able to buy a house these days, but you can definitely like spend over your income on a credit card. I mean, in the in the early days of our like recent financial disaster, things tightened up a bit, but a they've, little bit. they've loosened up again. So you imagine you could this could actually be really bad for the economy if you have a lot of people with access to easy credit. And these really persuasive ads just basically spending tons of money they don't have because they can't resist this stuff. Well, that's the thing is a lot of advertising is like, you know, durable things that you need. But a lot of it is for things that are, you know, not strictly speaking necessary. And it's not, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have any of those things in your life. I think everybody wants a little bit of those things in your life. But those are the things that are really hard to resist, the extra things. And if you really do a bang up job of targeting, there's at least a group of people, it may not be everyone, who would uh, have a seriously adverse effect on them. You know, it's a similar argument to why we don't allow gambling everywhere. I mean, it's not everyone. A lot of people can just enjoy gambling and whatever. It's no big deal. But there are some people who uh, they get addicted to it and it becomes an impossible compulsion to ignore. And of course, it's very damaging uh, for the same reason that buying too much crap would be. It's because you wouldn't have any money. <laughs> right. So I guess I don't know how many people are going to be included in that class that are susceptible I don't know to either. this. But I think, you know, it just depends how persuasive it is. And, and you know, this will feed it back into the same arms race in the sense that, like, once people realize this is happening, once you have the horror story of your, you know, cousin Phil who you know, lost his house because he just like couldn't stop going for these deals Bill, that were... Bill loves knickknacks and he lost the house where he kept all he the knickknacks. He has nowhere to put the knickknacks now. He has nowhere now. to put any of them. Yeah. It's a really sad but tale. There are boxes and, on the front lawn. And, you know, ever since I heard about Phil, like I really doubled down on the ad blocking software or the anonymizing software that makes it so the ads don't know who I am or whatever it is. I think right. it will... There will be a response if this were to happen. You know, and the thing is that this could be bad enough to to really ruin There's a lot of people's lives. There's even ad-free platforms like uh, Elo, which is a not maybe very successful platform right, right now, but it does exist. It's like a, their whole purpose is like we're trying to be like a Facebook without ads. Right. So there so, will always be an answer to this stuff. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways to opt out if it gets too bad, which is why I think it won't get too bad or at least not for long. It might get bad for a minute and then competition will sort it out and it will get better. What's interesting um, about that one is it could really, if it happened on a broad enough scale quickly enough without people realizing it was happening, it could, you know, be very bad for the economy in the short term if a lot of people spent themselves into debt. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it would depend on what else was going on. Of but, course. Uh, if, if people spend themselves into debt and then have some way of getting out of it, that might be really good for the economy. It might be really stimulative, <laughs> uh, especially true. since we don't have enough aggregate demand right now like we're not at a place where we're at full capacity so if that were the case in the future it could actually be stimulative but of course if those people then can't get good jobs because there's technological unemployment then it could be a real disaster it could really wipe out what's left of the middle class um there's a lot of ways this could go so yeah i mean definitely something to worry about and think about as we move into the future but let's move 
on. Let's move on. Yeah. So we're talking about targeting still, but that was all about targeting the right person. Let's talk about targeting the right person at the right time and in the right place. Serving you ads when you need them. Context. Right. Context. Improving the context of ads. So when do you get sold ads now, right? It's like while you're trying to watch something or right after you searched for something, right? These are not really good times. The kind of shitty times. A lot of times when you're either searching or watching or listening, you don't really want to be interrupted all that much. Well, on the frontier for this stuff is, I think, actually predicting what you want ahead of time, right? And it knows you're going to be hungry. Right. Uh, it knows your shoes are wearing out. Right. The way that it's going to do this is it's going to have data on you, such as your location, but also audio and visual information. We talked on a recent episode about you know transcription of speech. If it hears that you're talking about how your shoes are wearing out, it might offer you some new ones that you might like. Or visual information. If you're wearing AR glasses that are recording what you see and you look at something like your shoes that are worn down or your shoelaces that are broken, it may, again, serve you an ad that's appropriate to that particular situation. Now, I think there's a distinction to be made here because this can get you know confused with just recommendation algorithms, which I think are also... We could do a whole podcast on that. I mean, I think... You know, yeah, we should probably. We probably should. So I think like the future is definitely, you know, I don't know whether it's going to be Amazon or Google or Apple or probably all three plus other competitors. Well, that Microsoft are, has Cortana as well. Cortana. Yeah, yeah. That are going to be in this market. Don't forget Cortana. Or like John. <laughs> she'll be very upset. Uh, and, you know, she might be running the nuclear codes. They're soon. all female <laughs> and they all have these really odd names like Siri or Alexa. I, I hope they're picking the names so that, you know, they don't sound like other words, right? Because like, is that why they picked Alexa, for example? Because not a lot of words have X's. So you're less likely to accidentally talk to her. I don't know. This is a tangent, but... I don't know. But to me, Siri is a bad choice because that sounds like a lot of things. I feel like E sounds and S sounds are But I will say this. A person on a podcast I was listening to said, okay, Google, on the podcast. And I was listening to podcasts through my phone and my phone went into voice recognition mode when that happened. That's happened to me too. And actually it wasn't, they didn't even say Google. They just said, okay. And then something, you know, with L. With O's in it or something. That's funny. I, yeah. uh, So I like that Google now is voice recognition and doesn't have a fake personality because I find a fake personality to be tiresome. So I like that, but uh, they maybe didn't choose the best words for the purpose of uh, sounding different okay from other words. Is a, is a fail, I think. Picking okay is a bad one. Cortana might be better, honestly. That's doesn't Cortana sound. sounds really weird. Yeah, when are you going to say anything that sounds like that? Uh, Siri, uh, you're pressing the button anyway, so I think they don't care what the name is. It's not for that purpose. Sure. And yeah, I don't know how they chose Alexa. That's an interesting question. But anyways, the, the point of this digression yeah. <laughs> was originally to talk about the fact that we're going to have this personal assistant software. It's going to be, be making recommendations to you, but there's an interesting tension, right? Between the recommendation algorithm, which is supposed to have your back, it's supposed to be pointing you to the best, most useful things, and the desires of advertisers who want to put their content in front of your eyeballs no matter what. Yeah, well, you got to think about the companies that are like making this stuff, right? And- I mean, we just talked about them and like, what, what are their goals? Because if it's Google, they're obviously, they're selling you to advertisers, right? So there has that, they have that tension. Amazon has a different tension. They're actually selling you things directly. So they are the advertiser in their case. Yeah, no, it, it, it depends on you know, who's creating the assistant for sure. Or like um, the recommendation algorithm on Netflix wants you to keep watching Netflix, but which what- is different from wanting you to watch the best thing. Maximizing for one won't maximize for the other. I agree. I agree. But let's, if we're talking about like a, like a general personal assistant that tells you, you know, when you need new shoes or whatever it is, right? If it's giving you compromised suggestions, like if right. it's basically, like if it's, it's a, selling access to your suggestions. Exactly. Yeah. If, if, these, if these are paid for suggestions, they're not actually pointing you to the best pizza joint in town. Right. They're pointing you to the pizza joint that paid them. Right. Right. That is a huge violation of the consumer's trust. And assuming that there's more than one personal assistant game in town, people will go elsewhere if they realize that's happening. Right. So I think what's going to end up happening is the same thing that happens now. When you search Google, you have your sponsored links and you have your not sponsored links. So transparency is is one way that you solve this problem. You label this stuff. You say, like, you want a pizza right. joint? 
here's our sponsored pizza joint. Right. And maybe even here's a deal for that one because that's part of the ad. Sure. You know, and then, oh, and you could also go to this one that's highly rated, I guess. Right. But I, but I, everyone loves that one, but they're not paying us. Now that said, I think behind the scenes, there's still going to be a lot of economic incentive to try to, you know, sneak in your product, right, as being recommended in a not at all transparent fashion, just as if it were the best thing. Right, which is what, like, Amazon does now. So they don't sell the access to other people, but they are like, other customers bought this, or this was popular with people who bought some stuff that you bought, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and they just show it to you, and they don't show you anything else. And that's that algorithm... It wants to sell you things. It, but we don't know how compromised it is. Like, we don't know, like, how much, like, payola is happening behind the scenes. As with, far as their, mar- their merchants? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I assume if none. Any, right? I assume none. Because I, I assume that they don't care which merchant sells to you. They only want to know, like, algorithmically, what's the most likely sale? What are we going to get a click? Right. And I actually, I agree with that because this seems to be how it goes now. Like, if you want to be, say, like, it's a big deal, like, if you make an app to be, like, say, on the front page of the iTunes store, right? Right. But you can't just pay Apple to do that. They won't do that. No. Right? They have no reason to let you do that. They curate that thing carefully. Right. And, and at least some of that's data analytics. I'm sure they have people looking at it, too, and promoting things they think are right. whatever. But... At least some of that is like, what's trending? What are people rating highly? And what's growing quickly and stuff like that. Right. And I think the economic incentives are such that it will probably stay that way. The reason I'm bringing all this up is because in doing research for this podcast, I looked into a lot of future of advertising predictions and they do often stray into this territory of like, you're going to be recommended this product when you need it. And that's the future of advertising. And I'm like, yes, but it still will be labeled as a sponsored link because if it's not... That's going to completely undermine the business model of the company making that recommendation. Well, algorithm. I have to say, if one of these companies offers a just as good quality recommendation engine that is verifiably ad-free, that does all of its calculation based on cost-benefit analysis and reviews and mm-hmm. other things that are uh, objective and meritocratic, I'll just use that. Like that sounds way better to me than using Google's thing, even though Google's thing works pretty well and I'm, I'm happy enough with it at the moment. Right. And, that, and it definitely does advertise to you. If you go into Google now and look at the cards, some of those are, are, are paid clearly, you know, and they're targeted and everything. I mean, they all, it could all work better. But the specter of what, of the competitor that you're talking about, whether or not it actually exists, the right. fact that that could exist, I think is going to keep this stuff kind of in line. Now, there's there's ways for them to hide it, right? Because a lot of products are substitutable for each other. Like, I, I was thinking of just like a simple example is like soap, right? Like, I don't really care whose soap I buy, if it's roughly the same price, if I just need to order more soap and I tell my personal assistant software to order soap and it just defaults to something that paid for the right to be the default, I'm probably not going to notice that as my personal assistant software violating my trust because it probably doesn't matter to me at the end of the day. Well, that's because you don't care much about soap. That's true. Now, other people are very particular about their soap. Well, and if that happens, then those people people. will take to the message boards and forums and Or they'll just report to their assistant, I did not like that soap. Don't give me that kind of soap again. Right. Um, And and of course, their personal assistant will learn because that's part of what these things do. And so uh, it will send them something that more fits their demographic. And as long as it gets it right quickly, uh, they'll continue to be happy, right? But some of this stuff might fly under the radar. But anyways, what I, uh, all of this is to say that I think we're going to kind of preserve the boundaries that we basically have on this stuff. I don't think it's going to be... I don't think your personal assistant will be lying to you about what's right. I think the incentives are different for an advertising company like Google that wants to be transparent and let you know that they're ads, but also make them maximally useful to you versus... Uh, a gadget company like Apple or an attention uh, company like Netflix. I mean, they all want really different things and I think they'll be loyal and corrupted in different ways as a result. I mean, I think none of them will be pure, but I think they'll, they won't have the same problems, which is I think hopeful because you do have some choice about which one you subject yourself to at what time. Now here's an idea that falls within our definition of advertising, right? Okay. So paid for time, paid for attention. They have the floor with you, whether you like it or not, before you get to watch the thing you really want to watch or enjoy the thing you really want to enjoy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a static advertisement. It doesn't have to be a video 
It doesn't have to be text or a picture. It could be an algorithm in and of itself. It could even be a recommendation algorithm in and of itself, like where your personal assistance software steps aside and says, I'm giving the floor to this salesman. I mean, they probably wouldn't call it a salesman because that would immediately turn people off, but I'm giving the floor now to a sponsor who's going to pitch you and not just pitch you a pre-written thing, is going to talk to you like you're a person. Well, he probably has a lot of data about you. Right. And probably this will not work super well if it comes off like a car salesman or probably work better if it comes off more like you're in control and you're sort of customizing what you want. And it's like, how can we help you? Well, there are certain aspects of the psychology of the car salesman that do work, right? Sure. That's why car salesmen work. Um, some aspects of it, though, are counterproductive, uh, like maybe the sort of bullying quality that you're talking about. But I right. think there's an insistence and a uh, an urgency to the car salesman that is, I think, likely to persist. It can certainly say, like, you could skip this ad, but, you know, this deal's not going to be around tomorrow. Well, I mean, yeah, there's so many advertising techniques that work. Yeah. And, and it'll, I'm sure, be able to employ m- many of them. It'll tell you stories uh because your mind likes stories about how this product is going to get you something that you want it'll be able to guess what you want it'll be able to guess what some of your problems are it'll be able to relate to your past it'll be able to tell you about friends of yours that use the product and what they think about it Um, or it'll get you to just start customizing your product like before you even like even realize what's going on Or it'll just ask you a bunch of questions and, and design something for you yeah, like it'll start showing you the clothes that you're designing as you're designing them. And you'll be like, well, I just spent some energy. That right. Looks pretty and good. then at the end of it, it's like, okay, well, you can stop now if you want, but this is done. We can just send it to you, you know, or we, you can just print it out on your 3D printer at home or whatever it is that it is. So I think that's a place we'll see some innovation is the ads themselves will be interactive and intelligent themselves. This yeah. is interesting. So like ads as uh Pieces of AI software. Yes, exactly. So that's interesting because, right, we're just saying that an ad is something where you buy attention. So it doesn't have to be media. It could be software. It could be reactive, interesting software. That, to me, actually opens up a a different future slightly. I think it still will be now a moment from our sponsor, but that sponsor is going to be slick. It could be a game. And clever at getting you. If it's like, before you watch this video, you have to play 10 seconds of this game. Or not, or just die. But I mean, you know, your character is slowly falling towards the spikes. Aren't you going to (laughs) move? Like, I mean, there's there's ways they can get your attention. Yeah. And then if you don't move, then he dies and you see like a really bloody death video, which tells you about a product in the corner or something. And if if you you flick it, then you get the messages subliminally while you play and you play for as long as you want. That's the thing is like, that's a kind of devious clever advertising scheme that I expect to see. I expect to see things along those lines that trick you into being messaged to by being not obtrusive, genuinely fun, things that you actually want to spend your time doing uh, that are just presented to you against your will. And also transparent about what they are. They'll be like, here's what we are. We're an ad. You'll be like, ah, groan for a few seconds. And then they'll be really good at keeping you. Like that's how it's going to evolve, I think. Well, I think that'll definitely be a stage of it, but I think it'll be like, Ads have always been, they'll sort of flip back and forth between hiding it and showing it in order to get your attention the best way. If you get used to that after a while and you get annoyed, it, it'll be more like it, you're 10 seconds into it before you realize it's an ad. And then after a while, you get annoyed with that and it'll flip back the other way. You know, it's just, I think it's just like, it's like a fashion in ads. That's the, that's the arms race thing. Yeah. It's yeah. just this irony arms race, basically. It's like, ironic, know. then sincere, then ironic, then sincere. Yeah. But, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So let's move on to... Okay. Um, Another prediction, which is that they'll get better at measuring the effectiveness of ads. This has already happened. Um, it's still hard to measure ads. It's not, this is not a solved problem by any stretch. But part of the reason that it's gotten better is, you know, they can count things like how many times an ad was played. They can count how many times it was clicked on. So these are new data points that you have online that you didn't used to have with old forms of advertising. Um, But even that has a lot of problems, right? You don't know if those people then go on to buy products necessarily. I've seen a lot of weird statistics that say like a ton of advertising money is wasted basically on bots that are actually the ones watching and or clicking on those ads. So there are ways that that system can be gamed. Right. But I think that the long-term trend is going to be better measurement of how good ads are. So things like eye tracking, right? Or pulse tracking, Uh, or, you know, if you could see, we did an episode on emotional computing. This was episode 30, where we talked about 
all the different kinds of data you give off about your emotional state. So they'll be able to see like, are you actually looking at the ad? Are you looking at it intently? Is your heart rate going up? Are you uh, agitated? Are you excited? Are you sort of semi-distracted, right? And they will have a lot of fine-grained information about how effective that ad is. And then, right. And then that'll feed back into improving right. the ads. And effectiveness will be like a revolution in advertising, right? Because this is like the age-old problem of advertising. Advertising spending is probably largely wasted because they don't know if they're any good. Exactly. Like there's that classic quote by uh, John Wanamaker where he's like, uh, I know half of my ads are useless if I could just figure out which half. Right. This will make the whole advertising more of a science than it than it currently is. Right. Well, and advertising is a s- science in the sense that it, uh, it employs a lot of psychology to right. try to craft its messages. But here they'll have the data to like test theories. This is a place where they haven't been able to do that um, really very well at all before. Uh, right. So they'll know if you're really watching the ad or just sort of watching it. And they'll be able to track you like through time. So they'll know if you eventually purchase. Right. I mean, think to me, that's the biggest game changer is that one because that's because the they thing. They can profile yeah. you. So it's not like, it's not just in- anonymous data points. It's like John Perry, who lives here, watched this for this long. I know because he's logged into YouTube and I know because he's, you know, it's like. Right. And we have a profile that we update on him and we see later that he buys the product or doesn't buy the product. Right. As opposed to now where it's like they have the correlation of like, oh, this ad reached millions of people and then we saw a spike in sales two days later, but we don't really know what the connection was, right? And, right. and if we could track people, you know, as discrete profiles on a server somewhere, then all of a sudden that be- actually does become a solvable problem. And eventually, if you push this out far enough, you might be able to actually like uh, profile people to the point where you can actually predict with high accuracy, uh, how they'll behave, you could probably pre-test uh, advertising campaigns on the simulated profile. Or maybe you get small test runs of individuals and you know those individuals' profiles so well that you can relate them to whole demographic groups. Mm-hmm. And you could you know, massively expand the usefulness of like a focus group or a test marketing run. Yeah, well, and this all feeds back into that earlier dystopian scenario where it gets really, really good at overcoming your defenses. Uh, right. Because this is the data that it uses to pull this off. Right, yeah. and I'm not talking about it being you know, necessarily really invasive or anything like that, just being really effective. Right. So that's a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary that people who can pay for it, which basically limits this to the rich or the organized, can influence potentially people in that scale. I mean, I don't know if it's bad or not. We'll see, but well, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's not egalitarian. It feels a little bit anti-meritocratic. Right. Not necessarily bad in all cases, but worrisome for that reason. Now, there are a couple of scenarios that I'm that I don't give too much credence to, but I want to discuss them where maybe ads stop being effective at all rather than getting more effective. So Okay, so maybe we don't get ads basically. What scenario is that? We had Martin Ford on the podcast right. recently. And Martin Ford is, is very concerned about uh, consumer collapse. He's concerned about technological unemployment, automating jobs, people not having money in their pockets, therefore not buying products, demand dropping, and this essentially like creating this death spiral in the economy. And to some extent, what he's talking about is super now because we already have an aggregate demand problem in the world. Right. So this is what if this gets worse? From a worse? credit bubble basically bursting. So it could be, yeah, if that just continues and we have uh, more shocks potentially due to technological unemployment or other reasons, we could have consumer collapse here or somewhere in the world. So if that happens, then it really doesn't matter. I mean, a lot of the buyers of ads today would stop buying ads in that case. Right. So that's a case. And there's also a more utopian version of that. The more utopian version is it's not so much a consumer collapse as it is the wonderful abundance scenario where everybody gets everything super cheap, right? And so nobody really buys anything anymore because they just print it out at home in their fancy matter printer and so on. Right. And there's like two big companies that make matter printers and they're the only companies left in the world. And you already know who they are and you you don't really need to see their ads. Right. The thing is, I think even in that like that second scenario, this like magical post uh, scarcity non-consumer society that we will still have ads. And the reason I think that is because of the way we defined ads at the beginning, right. which it's, is that it's the sale of attention. Right, and attention is irreducibly scarce. And if people want attention, and if rich people with money and resources want attention, I mean, 
honestly, maybe these are just like super elite rich people that just want to start like, you know, a vanity art project or a vanity rock band well, in the I future. I doubt politics are going anywhere. So that's a big buyer already. Right. Or just raising awareness about your pet issue, whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, I think that not all advertising is based upon driving people towards a sale. Obviously, a lot of it is, but at the there's end of the day... Right. There's yeah. also advertising that's toward uh, getting people to participate in an experience of some kind. Sure. And even if those experiences don't cost money, they might still need to advertise. So, yeah, I, I definitely think ads are going to still exist even if there's consumer collapse because politicians will still pick up the slack. Or just wealthy people will want to get a message out. Sure, just like... Or people just want to get a message out. I mean, maybe advertising will become so cheap. I mean, this is, again, already happening. If you look at online, anybody can buy an ad on like Facebook for like $5. Absolutely, yeah. And so like I might buy an ad just to get a few more people to know about my little comic book that I'm working on. Did we tell you guys about the comic oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but that is available to me and I'm not rich or any, you know, uh, maybe on a global level I am, but not locally. Right, I it, think they're, they're going to. It may be less total advertising. Well, I think that than in a world ra- of mad, uh, manufacturing. I don't know goods. if there would be less advertising so much as like the price of advertising may fall. Might change, right? Because right. if you're not t- turning that advertising into a sale later, you might not be able to justify the same amount well, of. Well, just ad if there's fewer buyers, then you know, your price will drop. I think there's going to be a lot of buyers, though. I just think there's going to be buyers that aren't going to be able to spend a lot of money on this. But I like. I think this is a human trait that people want attention that is scarce they will fight for it they will pay whatever the money of the future is my prediction here is like advertising is here to stay people even in your magical abundance utopia yeah i know the the most i could see is a a modest reduction in the total money it generates and or the total number of firms seeking seeking it out but uh i don't think there's any way it disappears just because uh industrial firms are you know, so numerous and, and have so many resources. And I, we just may not have a similar class like that. Sure. Know. But anyway. Let's I, move on to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the next thing. Um, yeah. We mentioned a couple platforms for ads in the futures. Uh, augmented reality, uh, which will show you context-sensitive ads overlaid on things you're looking at, perhaps. Uh, virtual reality. Right. Uh, but another one is self-driving cars, right? Right. Basically, like, if the advertising industry wants to grow and if advertising-supported industries like Google want to grow then they're going to benefit from freeing up your attention that's being used on some rote task like driving mm-hmm. for more ability to look at content and, of course, look at the ads they're serving you. Yep. So self-driving cars are a big one, um, which will get people's eyes off the road and onto all kinds of ads. Now, to a certain extent, you're already exposed to ads on the road because if you're listening to podcasts with sponsors, if you're listening to radio, right, traditional radio, if you're driving right. by billboards, billboards you yeah. are seeing ads, I think, you could get higher ad density, though, if people aren't also having to steer a, a heavy vehicle. Right. And I think that there's other things probably that I can't even think of right now where automation could free up time away from things that are rote, boring tasks. And some of them might not even be that high tech. Like if I have a laundry service, then I'm not doing laundry a certain number of times a week, and that's time I'm looking at content or ads and so on and so forth. Right. Tasks like that, basically things that you have to spend time on regularly that you could get rid of. Sure. But I still think, you know, because of the limits of time, I don't think we're going to see a ton of ad growth, even with these new platforms. Like I think, you know, the winners will change. I mean, I think if Google makes the OS for self-driving cars, that might be a massive grab for them in terms of like taking over even more of the attention space than they already have. Sure. But I think that's more of a shift in just who's in charge and that the pie hasn't necessarily gotten that much bigger. Uh, Yeah, that's about right. Last thing I want to talk about is the ad supported model, right? So we get more incredible things supported by ads these days than, you know, certainly I ever got in my youth or than I imagine people got in the past. Getting Gmail, for example, like a very like full featured email program or like a lot of the applications that I get from Google, like, you know, as opposed to the past where maybe you would get a newspaper and that would be ad supported, right? It's a big change, right? It's ad uh, subsidized. You still pay for the newspaper. This is true. It's just ad subsidized. It's not even completely paid for. Yeah. So the, the point is we've seen progress in terms of the ad supported model being applied to more things. 
Now, it's still usually applied to things that have like a low marginal cost to reproduce. That does seem to be the trend, right? Video, audio, text, uh, search, you know, things that are automated or digitized. Things that take a lot of money to produce at first, whether it's an algorithm or a TV show or whatever, but then once they are made can be sent out to, you know, millions and millions of people without much additional cost. Right, where there's no difference between a million and a billion users. Right, and those are the things that do kind of make the most sense for ads uh, at the moment, and I think this will continue to be the case because uh, there are things we want to pay attention to, and so, you know, they have that audience to then resell. But it's fun to think about If the price of various goods goes down, can this model start getting applied to other things, right? Like possibly hardware. Sure. Like could your AR glasses be free and they just show you ads? I think we're actually already starting on this road. And I think the example is branding. So when you use your computer in a coffee shop, Mm -hmm. you are advertising for Apple because the back of your computer has a glowing logo on it. True. True. And when you buy a Gucci bag, it says Gucci in giant letters on it. And there's an intellectual property reason for that, too, which is like you can't copyright a bag, but you can copyright a fabric that has the word Gucci woven into it because the logo is copyrightable and is considered a trademark and is protectable under trademark laws. But if you ignore that tangent about intellectual property, you are, I think, subsidizing a kind of advertising, but right now it's usually limited to the, the manufacturer which I think is a big difference from, I think a future trend might be Apple sells the space on the back of their computers. Maybe Apple wouldn't do this because it doesn't seem in their interest. It violates their design aesthetic. Somebody I think. could do this. Yeah. HP maybe does this and uh, they have no aesthetic. And they, they, <laughs> sure. make a, you know, they have a white box laptop that they're getting imported from China that looks kind of like the contemporary laptop that uh, Apple's making. And they sell that space on the back and they give you a discount. Well, and the way you're defining it now, it feels like this has been around for a while. Uh, I mean, you know, arguably like, you know, sneakers are... Sneakers are, are another good example. Ad, well, they're ad subsidized, though. They're not, ad ad, subsidized, they're not actually free. They're ad subsidized and they're also the, generally the manufacturer. Or sometimes there's an additional brand like a, a, an athlete. Right. Or something will have an additional brand on there. But I think that's just the beginning of it. And I think uh, you could see this getting to the point where the subsidy covers the cost because they're cheaper to make because of automated factories or something like that. And you get to the point where you can have, you know, the free ad supported version or you can pay for the one that has the manufacturers. Right. Well, and Kindles, for example, have built in ads. So this is another example. That's a good example of, yeah, that's another step down the road. They have the ad supported model, which is cheaper. Right. And then they have the ad free model, which is more. Okay, so that is a good example of that. It's just uh, not quite free yet. You can't get like a free one. I don't think they have a free one, no. Because to me, that's where it really crosses the line into like like being truly ad-supported and not just ad-discounted. And not ad-subsidized, right. Because actually the ad-subsidized almost feels, it feels more like a threat and less like a feature. It feels like they're like pointing a gun at you and they're they're saying like, pay us more or we will annoy you with our product. Exactly. Yeah, whereas if it's like, you don't need to pay for this. You just have to give up your attention. Like uh, the way the Kindle works is um, whenever it's not on, it mm-hmm. just shows ads, right? So they're incidental ads. You see them when you pick it up and when you put it away and when you accidentally look at it. That's when you see them. They're very unobtrusive. For I mean, ads. they can't like insert them into your classic Faulkner novel. Well, or- what they need to do is, yeah, they need to write them in. They need to, it, he needs to be, it's as I lay dying, you know, and he really wants a Coke. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, these are, again, these are the things that are fun in dystopias, but just will never happen. No, Uh, nobody would stand for that, obviously. It's too ridiculous. But um, yeah, I mean, the ad-supported model could go really, really far, right? Like we've, I mean, we've discussed this in the past. You could have uh, like ad-supported housing. Right. So this is where it gets maybe crazy, but fun. Like housing is one where, you know, you're in your house. There's so many surfaces. There's so many ways it could sell you things that... I mean that especially a future smart house would have sensors and stuff in every room. Uh, You might have screens painted onto the walls or something like that, and you know it would just be a huge media environment in which you could be sold things constantly. And of course, you're there a lot. It knows a lot about you. It's probably also got your profile, so it knows even more about you than the house itself does. And uh, if people are having trouble paying for housing because housing has continued to be scarce while jobs have dwindled, 
then maybe this is a way that people could uh, get housed. Yeah, you and I have imagined this is kind of the next frontier for a company like Google. You know, this is like obviously further into the future after they've already mastered self-driving cars and so on. Right. Where, you know, this is a need that people will still have. And this is all kinds of extra time that you can get people's so attention much and eyeballs. So much data, data and attention, right? And so much attention. And the there. data, it just yeah. feeds right back into the attention into terms of like showing them the right things at the right time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially for like a company that wants to look like they're doing good, they could offer, you know, nice, affordable housing. But oh, by the way, it has ads in it. And when you're sitting at your bathroom mirror, like you might see an outfit that you could order or something. Right. You could be in your kitchen and, you know, your refrigerator's got a list of everything that you need to pick up already sitting there. And all you have to do is click OK and it'll get delivered. Or maybe it's like easier to imagine this happening in in hotels first, right? Like a place where like maybe people want to travel somewhere and they want to get a deal on a hotel and it's going to show you some ads. This already kind of happens because hotels have deals. Oh, yeah. Hotels are already subsidized to some degree. A, a lot of corporate hotels, they have like a basket of corporate products when you get in there that are all obviously provided at a discount and they have deals for you that you can get services and stuff for cheaper. I, I, this one is funny to me. I don't actually think this is a serious prediction, but if I were to write my own dystopian scenario, uh-huh. I would do ad-supported healthcare. That is and dark. And say when you get your new replacement eyes that they will occasionally show you ads uh, or possibly your cochlear implants will occasionally play you ads at night. That is really disturbing. I think if we're going to take this... That would make a funny uh, dystopian uh, story. Having ad-supported healthcare is just... uh, I think it's a bridge too far. Anyway, all right. We're out of uh, stuff to talk about. We're way out of time, too. We've been going on this. Thanks for listening to our uh, podcast about... The future of advertising. I hope you found it interesting and uh, we enjoyed talking about it. Um, and we will be uh, coming back at you uh, in two weeks with yet another episode, as we always do. So, this is usually the time of the podcast when we talk about our comic. This is and the plug. Yes, our plug. Uh, actually, our plug has been pushed this further our- into the future so that we will be launching our Kickstarter now on August 31st. That is the date we have. That's, uh, we'll be reminding you as we tend to do. Right. Uh, but this is our indie sci-fi graphic novel. You can go to letgocomic.com. There's now a color image up there of our cover. Yes. Which we're very excited about. So check that out. And thanks as always for listening. Yes. Thanks for listening. See you soon. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.